that. We're going to be starting a new series entitled Label Maker. You came excited because I've been talking about it a little bit and you're interested in understanding your identity in Jesus Christ and how that can change your life. And I will say I'm very excited about sharing that series, but we're not going to start it this week as I said, okay? We're going to put it off a week. And we're going to do that because God impressed upon me the need to share a special message today that we all need to hear. The title is simply this. You see it on the screen, a message for these times. There's nothing fancy about my even slides today. They're just a plain background because today's message is one that we need to hear. And I'll go ahead and warn you up front. It may be a little heavy for you today. What is this message that I feel compelled to share It is a message that seeks to help us figure out how we should respond in times like these when we hear a violence in our nation that highlights the fact that there is still a racial issue in our world. Consider these headlines over just the last few months. Police officer fatally shoots man outside Baton Rouge convenience store. Baton Rouge officers targeted and assassinated. Five Dallas officers were killed as payback, police chief says. For those of you who are more visual, just look at these headlines. The first one says, Ferguson erupts after officer is not indicted. The next one says, officer is charged with the murder of a black man shot in the back. This last one maybe sums it up when it says, civil war. Four cops at anti-police protest. Four cops killed at anti-police protest. Now, these are just a few of the recent headlines that all of us are familiar with in one way or another. You might have read a headline from a different source, but the subject of the headline is nonetheless the same. These headlines should break our hearts, and I will guarantee you that you've had a response to these headlines one way or the other. I would also guess that your response may have varied based upon you and what your background is. No doubt for those who have a strong connection to police officers, as we have here at Valley Creek, we rally to the defense of police officers, while others having a stronger connection to the black community may more quickly move to the rally of those who have been shot by police officers. But either way, I believe we've all had some kind of reaction. And the question I have for us today is simply this, how should we respond? Now, as I get started today, I wanna make a statement right up front And I hope as we go along today, this will be a good guiding principle for us. And it's simply this. The answer for these times is not found in the White House, but rather it is found in the church house. Okay? Maybe I need to say that again, all right? The answer for these times is not found in the White House, but rather in the church house. In other words, this is what I'm saying. When we hear things on CBS News, Fox News, CNN News, and in other news sources that disturb us, the answer is found with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, what we are dealing with is more than anything a spiritual issue. And so the answers are spiritual in nature and therefore the church house where we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Answers should be found. Therefore, what needs to be clear is I share with you today that I know this, that I am speaking to the church. Okay, do you hear me? I am speaking to the church house today. So I keep that in mind. And I'm wanting to know what do we as believers in Christ need to know. Also, as I preach today, I preach knowing this, that the majority of the congregation that I preach to is white. And so I will keep that in mind as I share this morning. 
And I share this message because, as I said earlier, God has been burdening me to share this message, but also because I truly believe that as believers, we can make a difference in this world. The last thing that we must do with these issues is ignore them or think that there is nothing that can be done because that is not right. As believers, we can make a difference in this world. And so what should we do in these times in which we live? Number one, we should seek truth, all right? Seek the truth is what we should do. Too often, what I see in our society is people speaking before they know the truth. As I've said, we often react to things based on who we are and what our experiences have been. And when we react, we often react without even stopping to consider what are the facts and then reacting to those facts. What we need to really be careful about before reacting, before the facts, is, is based upon what was said in Proverbs 17, 15, when it says this, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Think about this. In other words, if I hear a news story about some of the violence and you simply dismiss one side as being wrong and the other side as being right without knowing the facts, then you can put yourself in a place where God is not pleased with you. For example, because I am white. I can't just assume that every police action against a black man is justified when there are a few, and I emphasize a few, bad apples in the police force. And at the same time, I cannot quickly condemn police shootings as wrong because most of the time the shooting is justified and the police officer was righteous in his or her actions. Therefore, here's what I must do. In all cases, I need to seek the truth and then I make judgments according to the truth. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, as I say that, here's what we all must be aware of when it comes to seeking the truth. It is knowing that the news that we receive is all skewed and limited in details and the truth. Okay. For example, Mayor Rosh J. Baraka of Newark is, has been working on initiatives to help build positive relations between the police and the community. And though I might disagree with him on many things, his work in this area is commendable. However, when a special story was filmed to highlight the work, much of the positive was left out of the story, and what was highlighted was the negative. In fact, Mayor Barack wrote this op-ed piece in the Huffington Post, and he said this. He said, when PBS Frontline recently came to our city to produce their documentary, Policing the Police, they highlighted the violence of a few officers while leaving on, or leaving on the cutting room floor extensive footage and interviews about the substantial changes underway in policing Newark. He also went on to say this. The best way to protect our police officers as they do their important job of protecting us is to build police community cooperation while forcefully speaking out against those who would harm the police. Violence is contagious, but so is the hope created when the police and communities of color work collectively for change. Unfortunately, hear what he said, unfortunately, that hope is rarely seen on television and in social media. Instead, the media contribute to the stereotyping that incubates killings. All right, in other words, I hope you hear what he's saying. That what we get on television or in the newspaper or in magazines is only part of the story. And it is a part that the producer or whoever is responsible for that story wants us to hear. And let's face it, what sells is controversy and not the stories about success, peace, and unity. Right? 
Trust me when I say there are many more positive stories than negative. Therefore, let's be people who seek truth. And if we consider our times, here are two truths I believe we will find if we take our time, all right, to, to ask people, if we take our time to really consider what is the truth, and that's what I've done this week. I've taken my time to talk to some people and say, I want to know what is true. Here's two truths I want to give you this morning. Number one, most police officers are good and are truly seeking to carry out justice without regard to skin color. Okay, do you hear me? Truth number one. But truth number two, there is a perception in the black community that those in the minority are treated unfairly and therefore some minorities truly are fearful of those in authority. Now, one of those truths is very positive. It is good to know that police are truly seeking to exercise their authority correctly. However, it is sad that some minorities have a different experience and feel that they cannot trust those in authority. Now, as I make these observations, it leads me to the second major point for this morning that we need to do in these times, and it is this, recognize that there is a problem, okay? What I believe is easy for me to do as a white man living in a predominantly white community is just pretend that there is no problem in America between the races. I like to think that I don't view people through the color of their skin, However, I have to recognize that our community is not every community. And if you look at society and our nation as a whole, we still have a racial problem, okay? The problem is not what it used to be, but there is still a problem nonetheless. What is happening in our day is appalling. The killing and the violence that we see should affect us all. And what is at the minimum it must do is open our eyes and help us realize there is a problem in our nation. Because of our history of slavery followed by segregation, we as a nation still suffer from our past sins. And 1 John 1, 8 says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we as a people look and say, there is not a problem, then we are in denial, deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so let's open our eyes and say, there is a problem. Now, in doing so, here's what I want us to do next. Be compassionate to the plight of others. Again, this morning, I recognize that I'm speaking to a mostly white congregation. So here is what I want to ask. Are you compassionate to the plight of those in the black community? My guess for many here today is if you hear the phrase, black lives matter, you get upset and you want to say all lives matter, right? So let's be honest today. And it is true, all lives matter. But folks, listen, do we say that without regard to the plight of some in the black community? Now, I know I run the risk of being misunderstood today. So know that I'm not saying this morning that I support or that we should support Black Lives Matter organization. I honestly don't know enough about their leaders or their true purpose to know whether they deserve support. My immediate response would be this. There's probably a, a better way for them to handle what they're doing. There's probably a better way to go about it. However, for those in the white community, I want us to understand something. 
That for many in the black community, they truly feel and have experienced that the color of their skin makes a difference in the way they are treated. See, I've talked to several people this week that I trusted on this matter. I wanted their opinion. And I said, you tell me, am I seeing things correctly? And I'm thankful that some have told me that they've been treated no differently because of the color of their skin. However, even some who have not been mistreated still say this, that even within the black community, especially among young black males, they feel threatened. One person qualified what was said to me by admitting that the troubles that we often see are caused by people failing to do what they should. In other words, the reality is that, that if you simply do what is right or what you're told to do, then trouble can be avoided. Amen? All right. This person, though, went on after that to say this, but the reality is this, is that if you had a group of white males who were gathered in a parking lot, say, of a shopping center, the police are not necessarily going to be called. But if you had a group of young black males gathered in that same parking lot, most likely not only are the police going to be called, but multiple police officers will be called to the scene. Why? Because there would be suspicion about what is going on. I was told secondhand of a man who many of us here would know personally who says this, that as a black man, he never drives with his wallet in his pocket because if he gets pulled over, he doesn't want to have to reach in his back pocket for fear. All right. I also heard about a white man who now works in our area who at one time worked in Chicago and worked with kids in the inner city. He told stories about how when he would walk down the street with the boys that he would work with who were black, that police officer would often pull across, or pull alongside the road, roll down their window and say, are you okay? Now, when I hear those things, I honestly have to say, I, I, I don't get it. I have to say, I, I don't understand it. I cannot know how someone could feel that way. I've never had to have those feelings of being considered a possible danger because of the color of my skin. Therefore, what I simply want to do this morning is to call all of us today to be compassionate to the plight of others and not even just the color of the skin, but maybe their situation in, in life. For whites, I do pray that we would gain a compassion for those in minority groups because some do experience things that we don't. I would also take it a step further and say that there are some people who face difficulties because of the community they are growing up in, even if their skin color is white. And I call us to be compassionate because it's easy to get caught up in our own little world and not see the plight of others. And why do we show compassion? We show compassion because I look at Jesus and when I see the crowds who came to Jesus and they were looking for answers, this is what we find in Matthew 9, 36. And when he or Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, that tells me that when we need to look and we need to see the hurt, we need to see the helplessness, we need to see the lack of guidance that people have, and we need to be moved to help them. We do this also because in Colossians 3.12, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You see, God's word specifically looks at us as believers and says, what do we do? We put on compassionate hearts. We put on kindness. We put on humility. We put on meekness. God is calling us in the church house to have compassionate hearts. 
But as I say that, let's understand that we have to do more, though, than just have compassion. Because today, we have to accept the call to bear one another's burdens. Listen to what it says in Galatians 6, 2. Simply it says, bear one another burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, later in Galatians, it says this. In Galatians 6, I'm not going to read it this morning. You can go back and read it yourself. Later in Galatians 6, it says a person reaps what he sows, okay? Therefore, what it says here about bearing one another's burdens is not undermining personal responsibility, okay? It's not doing that. I will talk about that in a moment, but because ultimately each of us is responsible for our own actions and lives. However, can we at least acknowledge that for some, the opportunity to succeed is more difficult than it is for others? Some time ago, I read a book entitled, When Helping Hurts. The premise of this book, in part, is that much of the help that we give people actually hurts them more than it helps them. In other words, what we really need to do for people is truly give them a hand up and not a hand out. Y'all have heard that expression, right? Okay. Too often, we're quick to give hand outs when we need to give a hand up. One of the things that I appreciate about our work with Mission Hope for Kids is that ultimately the goal of Mission Hope is to help kids break out of the cycle of poverty that they find themselves growing up in. If all we ever did for Mission Hope for Kids is give them a backpack and free school supplies at the beginning of the school year, folks, we ought to just stop and cut ties with Mission Hope for Kids. But here's what I know. We have people here throughout the school year. What do they do? They volunteer their time to go to those kids after school to invest in their life, to help them get a good education, to teach them God loves them, to teach them there is a better way, to teach them there is a hope of a better tomorrow with the hope of helping those kids break the cycle of poverty that they're growing up in. In other words, what are they seeking to do? To say there's a better way to live. You do not have to live in what you're growing up in. What I like about Habitat for Humanity is like the same. Hope you understand, we just got done building a Habitat house, but a person is not just given a Habitat house. You know that, right? That person is counseled financially to make sure that they can handle their finances. They are taught to pay their debts, even required to pay some debts before they even can get a house. They're required to build in that process. They have to put their own sweat equity in. And then you know what they're done? They are then sold that house at a price that they can afford. They are not given that handout. They are given a hand up. And let me just tell you this lately. I didn't say this first service. Y'all get bonus today. If y'all haven't driven down Haycraft Street and you've grown up in this community, you ought to drive down Haycraft Street lately and see if it doesn't look different than the last time you drove there because Habitat is seeking to change a whole community. And the houses are coming up and people who own the ones next door, they're looking at those Habitat houses and say, they look pretty nice. And so what do they do? They start fixing theirs up just a little bit. You see, we're changing a community, not just giving a handout. Do you hear what I'm saying? Are y'all with me this morning? Here is what is difficult about programs like these, though. They require a lot of work. You know what? It's easy to just give people money and say, here you go, I've helped you. But it's really hard to bear a burden to the point that you will make a true difference in not only a person's life, but entire communities. Investing in lives for real transformation. And if we're going to solve our nation's issues, we are going to have to bear one another's burdens. Okay? I say this again because not everyone has had the same opportunity in life. When I spoke with one officer seeking his perspective, he was clear in saying to me 
that when he approached a situation, he, he approached it with heightened awareness, not based upon the color of a person's skin, but on the situation he was going into. Obviously, if you were a police officer called to the scene of a situation where you've been told a gun is present, you're going to be more on edge than when a gun is not present, right? And it doesn't matter the color of the skin, right? Y'all can say amen to that. You agree with me? Okay. This officer was honest in saying that the situation that heightens your awareness, though, can be the area that you are called to. Again, that, that doesn't mean just being called to an area that is predominantly black. It could be a predominantly white part of the community, but if the area is known for violence or gangs or high crime rate, you will approach that area just a little bit more on edge, all right? Do you hear what I'm saying? If you do, shake your head this way. I want to make sure y'all listening, okay? I believe we would all say I completely understand the heightened awareness of an officer in some situations. Now, here is where we face an issue. And I think why we have often seen our problem as a black versus white issue. There are unfortunately a higher percentage of areas in our nation with issues of violence that are predominantly black communities. And why is that so? In part, we can say bad individual choices. Okay. Part of the answer for the black community is take responsibility for the choices made. The rate of single mothers in black communities is high, and much of that is due to men who have chosen not to be involved in the lives of their families. However, a part, again, that we do not like to admit is that there are societal issues that perpetuate poverty in some black communities, making it a challenge for the residents to break out of the cycle that they find themselves in. We don't like to admit it today, but let's, let me go ahead and just say it today. Because of slavery and segregation, there are still communities today that suffer the effects of the poverty. Okay? We, we don't like to admit it. But that is the truth, all right? Consequently, these high poverty areas have a tendency to have higher rates of crime of various kinds. Therefore, policing in these communities are more dangerous and have a higher incidence of police versus civilian violence. If you see what I'm saying, if you see what I'm saying, the issue is not so much a black versus white issue as it is a community issue. And therefore, part of the solution is to work to help these communities come out of poverty. Now, here's what I want to know this morning from the church. Where's our amens? That's what I want to know. The solutions are not easy. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you this morning. I don't have all the answers but I really believe if people truly come together, we can solve these issues. We spend too much time today, rather than coming together to solve issues, we want to argue, as well, am I a Republican or am I a Democrat? Do I get my way or do I not get my way? When God would look at us and say, why not come together, see the problem, let's solve it. Right? What I'm advocating here is an understanding so that we would see the need. Often what we just want to do is blame individuals without considering the societal issues, but the societal issues are there. You know, when I think about the Bible, I consider the story of the children of Israel. When Joseph's brother sold, them, sold him into slavery in Genesis 37, it began a cycle that when aided by a famine caused the children of Israel to end up in slavery to the Egyptians for 400 years. 
You tell me, for many of those that were slaves in that 400 years, was it their fault they were in slavery? Was it their fault? No. Even when God delivered them, I don't know if you ever thought about this. Even when God delivered them, they so did not know how to live as free people that when they got out headed to the promised land, that they sinned and they messed it up and they wandered for another 40 years because they didn't even know how to act as free people. You say, was it their fault? No, okay. What's their answer? God, I know that, right? But what I want us to see is today that we have to look and address societal issues that perpetuate poverty and then help those individuals understand their potential and their responsibility. Now, once we've decided to accept the call to bear one another's burdens, hear me when I say we need to repent where you failed. In Acts 8.22, we read, Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Over and over, the Bible calls us to repent. And I hope you understand, repent means not only seek God's forgiveness, but also to change our ways. Right? So we need to truly repent. And if some of you say, well, Brother Scott, repent of what? I will say it varies. Let's be honest. Some here need to repent of your blatant prejudice. Some of you here this morning are prejudiced. You need to repent of that. Some today need to just repent of complacency. In other words, you just don't really care. You need to repent of that. Some need to repent of wrong actions. Some need to repent of just being unaware of the true issues and more. What we need to repent of will vary. Some people will need to repent for a failure to do what is right because truly all the situations we read about in the paper could be corrected if everyone just did what they were supposed to do. Amen? Right? Y'all can at least say amen to that, can you not? If we'd all just do what we were supposed to do, there wouldn't be any issues. Therefore, here's what I do. I challenge each of us to repent where you have failed, but then take individual responsibility for how you live as guided by Christ. I know today, as I've said, I don't have all the answers. In fact, maybe for some today, I'm raising more questions for you than I'm giving you answers. However, here's what is clear, that God would call every believer to seek to help what ails our society. And when it comes to race relations, it is the church's responsibility above all to seek to bring the races together. Okay, I will say this. It breaks my heart that on Sunday mornings, I preach to a mostly white congregation. Maybe we're not doing our part to bridge the gap. When I asked one of my friends who is black about this issue and told her I was going to say the answer is not in the White House, but in the church house, she agreed that's true. And then she acknowledged that part of the problem is that our communities today, they are no longer, that, that in our communities today, that church is no longer a priority. And because church is not a priority, then problems that ail our communities are at least not getting any better and most likely getting worse. And she was speaking there, particularly about the black community. But I'm going to tell you today, the same is true for the white community. Church is not the priority that it used to be. And when the church is not the priority, God is not the priority. Listen, our problems are not going to get any better. They're just going to get worse. I know what God wants the church to do is to be a, a part of bringing the races together because in Galatians 3.28, it states that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all, what? One in Christ Jesus. Listen, in Christ, we have all been made one. 
And if as a Christian you view yourself better than someone else, then you are sinning. If you look down on someone just because they are of another race, then you are doing wrong in God's sight. In fact, as a Christian, you should be intentionally seeking to bridge the gap with others. In fact, I have to share a couple of passages from 1 John this morning in this message. It says, if anyone says in 1 John 4, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I hope you hear what that says. Because today, if you fail to love others, even if they are different than you, then you cannot say you love God. 1 John 3. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that being Jesus. And we saw... We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The reality of this is that if we who have been so blessed by God sees others who have needs and we fail to help them, then we have to consider whether we are God's children or not. Because John would say to turn a blind eye to those in need is to not have the love of God in your life. I want to challenge every Christian to take responsibility for how you live as guided by Christ. And if someone here finds yourself in a difficult circumstance, don't look at to blame others, but ask, is there something I can do to help my own circumstance? But for all of us, let's look and ask, who can I help that may have not had the opportunity that I have had? And if it is not someone of a different race, then find someone of your own race who may be living in generational poverty or in generational sin and seek to help them find a new way. Because individually, we can make a difference if we live as God would want, treating others the same as ourselves. In fact, this week, as I studied for this message, I was reminded of why I became a Dallas Cowboy fan. I shared that in the first service. I shared this in the first service and somebody on the way out said, I used to have a friend named Scott Kerr until I found out he was a Cowboys fan. But I I was reminded this week of why I became a Cowboys fan and that was Tom Landry. When I was a young man watching the Cowboys in the 70s, Tom Landry was their coach and it was widely known that he was a Christian man. There was just something different about Tom Landry. That one person after the service told me that Tom Landry was one of the first proponents of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Excited to hear. He's just a good man. And so this week I heard Tony Evans, who is a black preacher, talk about speaking at Tom Landry's funeral. He, he died in the early, uh, I think it was 2003, somewhere out there. He, he passed away and Tony, I heard Tony Evans talk about his experience at, at Tom Landry's funeral. And he talked about one black player who gave testimony that day, and he said this. He said, I would have come even if I'd not been asked to speak for this reason alone. He said, during the 60s when the nation was racially divided, I always knew that I could go to the cowboy camp and this man would treat me fairly. And it said player after player came to the mic and said about Landry, this man was fair when the culture was unrighteous. In other words, when culture was saying one thing, 
one man was willing to do what was right. And we have to ask ourselves, will I do what is right individually no matter what society says? Will I do the right thing? Again, this morning, we can't answer for everybody else, but here's what I am saying. You can answer for yourself, can you not? I talked this week to the Reverend Billy Curl. How many of y'all here know the Reverend Billy Curl? A lot of folks that grew up in this community know Billy Curl. He is a black preacher. Uh, again, I, we get bonus time in this, so I'll share a little story. B Billy and I have a, have a story. We, uh, we did a funeral together one time. When you get two preachers doing a funeral, it can make for a long funeral, right? So we talked beforehand because we were concerned, and, and so he went first, and I was prepared. He was going to go long. I've never heard Billy ever go short. And he got up there and preached, shortest I'd ever heard him talk. I was stunned. And so then I got up and I preached, and I preached a pretty good time. And so Billy, afterwards, he harassed me about that. He said, what is that? I got, you out-preached me today, you know? So I'm, I, I'm the only guy that's ever out-preached Billy Curl. You tell him that someday. <laughs> but even if you never know Billy Curl, he's a good man. I have never heard, again, I've never heard a bad word said about him. So I called him this week and I said, Brother Billy, I want to know, he said, as a black preacher, what should I say as a white preacher to an mostly white congregation. Now, when I was able to talk to him, he was traveling at the time, so we didn't, we didn't have a good connection, so we didn't get to talk long, but, but this was the basic word he, he ended with me. He said, if I give him one word, here it was. He, he said, be a friend forever. You know, he said, he, I think he kind of said, you know, kids today like to say BFF, best friends forever. And he, would say, he said, be a friend forever. Well, what did he mean by that? He said, again, this is not about, I just go out and, and, and I see somebody had a need. He said, oh, here, here, I helped you. Given this, I helped you. He said, no. He, he would say, listen, become a friend. I mean, if you, wanna, if you wanna make a difference between the races, reach across, find someone of color and say, listen, I wanna be your friend and be that friend forever, okay? That's when you'll make a difference in their life, not just coming in for a fleeting moment, but say, I wanna be your friend. Find somebody in poverty and say, I wanna be your friend and be their friend and help them, encourage them, help them know their value in Christ. Help them know that there's a better way, but be that friend forever because if you just come in for a fleeting moment, what is that for? Billy was just saying individually, you go out and you be a friend because that's how you change lives. And folks, listen, that's how you change societies. So I'm just wondering if we in the church will be individually who God is calling us to be. Today, I pray that we would look as a church and that we would individually seek people out who may need a hand up, not a hand out, and say, I will be here for you. I'm going to be compassionate to your plight, but I'm also going to bear your burden. And I'm going to be here for you because why? Because God has called me as people to understand. Listen, there's, there's, there's no difference between you. You might have grew up in a different circumstance than I did. And I understand that. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to be that friend and I'm going to help because our world needs the church to stand up and say, we are the answer. Because we know the answer whose name is Jesus Christ. As we look at our times this morning, folks, let's seek the truth. Let's recognize that there is a problem 
Let's be compassionate to the plight of others. Then accept the call to bear one another's burdens as we repent where we have failed, as we individually seek to take responsibility for how we are to live as guided by Christ. Let's pray. Father, as I come to the end of this message, you, you know, Lord, that my heart's still heavy. And Father, you know today that, that as I confess to you the first service and I'll confess it here, the reality is that, that I've probably grown up most of my life just being blind that there is a, a problem. And Father, just in the world that I live, it's so easy to just ignore it. And so Father, even you've had to burden my heart to say there is an issue, address it. And so, Father, I thank you for the burden that you've placed upon my heart. And my prayer would be that as I've shared these words, seeking to be faithful first to you, that, Father, the people here, Lord, will hear what you wanted them to hear. And that, Father, today, again, I know we're not leaving here with all the answers, but, Father, I pray that we'll leave here with a burden and a desire to do our part. And trust, Father, that as we leave here, you can show us what we can do to help change our community, that the headlines might be different, Father, someday. And that term that we could truly say, there is no issue of race. Father, there is no issue of poverty. Because, Father, those in the church house have stepped up to be who you've called us to be. So help us, Father, I pray. And so just speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.